It's Saturday, the 24th of September 2016. I'm Robin Yellow, and this is Tectasm episode 30 Fording Out of Love with Steering Wheels. And with me again, because nobody else has travelled the world as much as he has during the last three weeks, is Sir James Woodall. Mr. Yellow, how are you doing? I'm very good, I'm very good. You've been enjoying the culinary excitement of, that North America has to offer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was um, it was definitely extensive. Shrimp-tastic. Yeah, shrimp-tastic, absolutely, yeah. Double-double awesome. Well, while James chews down on his gigantic hamburger, we will be looking at Ford's steering wheelless car, Android apps finally arrive on Chromebooks in the stable channel and Windows 10 woes. And we'll be judging these stories and some others to tell you whether they are a tech-tasm, which by our definition is a blend of tech for technology and tasm for phantasm, something existing only in a person's mind. So without further nonsense, let's get on with the show. Okay, so we've got a BBC article here. With an author. Oh, so it's not Nameless Journal Droid. Uh, Nameless Journal Droid has not written this article. This is Dave Lee, BBC, talking about how Ford have announced that by 2021, they are going to pr- mass produce a fully autonomous self-driving car, but wait for it, without a steering wheel. Which is, I mean, five years, that's not a long time. That's quite, that's quite something. They uh, unveiled this uh, this in Palo Alto um, a couple of weeks back, and um, when you say they unveiled it, what did they actually unveil? They, well, they they unveiled basically an idea, I guess. Um, the, the news. Yeah, yeah. They they gathered everyone together to tell them about the news. Um, they're hinting that it's going to be some kind of ride sharing service, and so not necessarily a car that you can buy in a traditional. Um, ah. Okay, that's interesting. Traditional shop, but um, um, but what what's really interesting is Ford have actually made quite a few investments in uh, in this type of thing, um, in partnership with uh, Chinese firm Baidu, which of course is the Google equivalent over in China. They made a joint investment of one hundred and fifty million dollars into a company that um, works on lidar technology, which of course is used for detecting objects while driving around. So. Um, this is this is really interesting. I think that what what um, if you were to compare it to say the Tesla, um, the uh, the U.S. Um, Society of Automotive Engineers has a standard of autonomy, and this is saying it will be level four, um, which means that the car can basically operate entirely, you know, kind of by itself for particular use cases. It doesn't really say what they they mean. Tesla's autopilot is level two. But of course, with recent events, that requires a lot of human assistance. So, in terms of autonomy, what Ford is promoting actually seems pretty advanced. Well, the level two system on the Tesla, of course, is based on two sensing systems. One is an optical system um, from an Israeli company called Mobileye, uh, which I think they're converting now to to internally. Uh, produce the the software that drives that optical system in combination with radar which of course doesn't give both of those systems neither of those systems give the same level of accuracy that you would get from a lidar system you know what lidar stands for james um i do because it's written in front of me 
Um, it, it it is light detection and ranging. There you correct. go. See, that is correct. I, I can read. Yes, well done. Um, well, LIDAR, of course, uh, shoots out lasers in all different directions and then looks for reflections and then does oversampling. And in, in near real time can give a very accurate 3D view of what's going on in front of you. And all the Google driving systems, of course, are based on LIDAR. So I'm not surprised to see both their investment in LIDAR and this being at the heart of a level four system, because I think the current uh, driving aids, things like um, uh, adaptive crews, just use a crude radar system for tracking yeah, the car do, in yeah. front. Uh, whereas the, uh, as I say, the Tesla uses an optical system uh, as well to interpret actually what pretty much what you're seeing out of the uh, out of the front window. Okay, so I guess really, you know, what I want to know is, five years is not a long time, especially in the car automotive world. Can they really get a car with no steering wheel out in five years? Well, the great thing about their announcement, of course, is that's all it was. It was an announcement. Uh, my question would be on that sort of five-year time frame, whether anybody's going to pick them up uh, in five years' time, basically, you know, on the uh, 17th of August uh, 2021, and say, aha, where is it? And of course, by by them saying it's potentially not going to be for general sale, just used for specialist use cases, all they've got to do is to sell it to one taxi firm that does a square mile in downtown Los Angeles, and they've delivered on their promise. So I think this is PR. Okay, yeah, I would agree. So I'm not saying it isn't hasn't. driving their development, though. I'm not saying they're not going to deliver it. And certainly this will be as much, I think, for their own internal engineers to deliver something as it will be uh, for the public. But I'm, I would call this a tectasm, uh, James. Yeah, I would agree. Okay, moving on. Well, uh, the next web reports this week uh, that Google Play has now arrived on Chromebooks. Now, we've spoken about this before on tectasm. Um, in May, Google announced that it was going to bring this feature to Chromebooks, uh, i.e. access to the entire Android Play Store on, on its uh, uh, laptop and desktop uh, system. But with the arrival of Chrome OS version 53, the Acer Chromebook R11 and the Asus Chromebook Flip now have the ability to download, install and run Android apps natively on the Chromebook. Now, of course, James, Android apps were not designed for the use on the laptop, so they're going to be windowed. Yeah. And, um, of course, they're not designed for a mouse. They're designed for, for for touch. And, therefore, you may find them a bit finickety to use. And, in fact, VentureBeat noted that the game Dots was basically unplayable on the trackpad, mm -hmm. uh, much easier on the touchscreen. Of course, the two devices that I mentioned there, the Acer Chromebook R11 and the uh, um, Asus Chromebook Flip, have both got touchscreens. Have they got multi-touch screens? Uh, yes, they do. So you can do pinch and zoom and all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, my, mm -hmm. I, well, I actually have a, uh, tried this out uh, yesterday on an Acer Chromebook R11. Uh, and then I installed Pocket Casts, which is one of my favorite podcasting applications, just to see whether it would, you know, synchronize my podcasts from its web-based service and play seamlessly the some of the podcasts that I have in my uh, list, including this show. And it worked perfectly. So I can report that this works 
effortlessly. It's not seamless because they are slightly different to the, the way the Android apps run, of course, as I said, are windowed. So it looks a little bit out of place compared to the rest of Chrome OS, which is effectively a big web browser. But it works very well, looks consistent. You can tell it's an Android app, obviously, but it, it you know, it works. It really works. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, look, it's quite exciting. It It's definitely the way forward. There's well over a million apps on there for the App Store. So Well, uh, yes, and that's what they said, a million apps. What's interesting is that literally out of all the apps I use on Android, that was the only one I could really think of that I need. You know, Slack, there's a web app. Um, Hangouts, there's a web app. Uh, even WhatsApp has got a web app which you can use. And you think, well, actually, there's not much I need. You know, it's got a media player built into Chrome OS. I don't really need it for that. Um, I suppose... Ooh, you know, I suppose Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel, they're Android apps, um, which I, I actually installed to do a test and they work perfectly. Uh, but of course, the Android versions of Excel and Word are cut down anyway uh, from the full version. So it's not like you're getting the full desktop version for free. Well, how does it compare to the web versions of Excel and Word? much faster so in terms of performance once you've got the thing up and running it's much more responsive than the the web version especially of microsoft's online office suite which is which can be very sluggish and difficult to use so from that point of view you know that native android experience gives you that performance and speed if if of course the app is native itself it gives you that that fast responsive performance which is good so it worked very well and of course you know let's not forget uh Obviously, this is about a million apps and them extending the Chrome OS uh, ecosystem to support that. But, you know, it's a technological marvel the way they've done this. Let's not forget how very hard this was for them to do. And they've delivered on it. Mm. Yeah. No, it's not impressed. I can tell. Um, it's it's very interesting. They've, they've been talking about it for a very long time now, if you think about it. Um, so it is quite impressive that they've managed to they managed to do it. I'm just... I'm just not sure about the usability. I imagine that limiting it to touchscreen tablets might might be a bit of a problem. You know, if you think, you know, this kind of thing has been attempted before with applications that were not designed for a platform moving over to a different platform. So. Yeah, you're talking about perhaps some of the early iOS applications for the iPad when yeah. it came out were just scaled up versions that didn't work very well. Yeah, yeah, obviously, you know, apps that are designed for tablets or that scale, Android apps that would scale to tablets are much a much easier experience and a better experience. But I, I didn't find using a mouse as being too jarring. Obviously, it's designed for touch. But remember, so, you know, let's take Pocket Casts, for example. When Pocket Casts is running in phone mode... You have to slide in, you know, or tap the hamburger menu to get to, to, to get the menu to kind of slide across the screen so you can activate it, access settings and your, your groups and lists, that sort of thing. Um, now, because when the app opens on Chrome OS, it's effectively running in tablet mode, the, the menu is just sits there on the left like a regular tablet style. And that's quite good. So there's not much sliding. You know, you don't need to do much finger sliding or, or to kind of imitate that with a mouse and a pointer uh, to actually get the functionality to work. So I, so I didn't find it too bad an experience. Okay, well, that's good. I mean, uh, do you know if there is any specific SDKs now for Android apps to take advantage of trackpads? Uh, I th I, I, my understanding is that since Lollipop, 
um, the possibly earlier, um, the uh, there's always been uh, support for for mouse pointers and clicks. So and it's kind of built in; it's native with the app. So if, for example, you've got an Android tablet, you hook up a, a mouse and a keyboard to it, you can just use it and that's all that's all we're talking about here True. is okay. is that use case and of course the fact that chromebook has got uh has got an inbuilt keyboard and trackpad well that's all the better it just means it's built in it's just more convenient to carry it around so you know if you if you look at it in those terms it gives you all the functionality of a of a tablet with a keyboard and a mouse pointer into one handy package which we call a laptop don't tell anyone <laughs> Okay, well, I, look, it's quite exciting. I think uh, when we meet up next, I'm going to have to have a have a bit of a play, and then we'll. I'll we'll have to give. Happens. I'll have to sort you out, Chromebook. You, you've uh, got to have well, to join the 21st century. Uh, no, I shall resist. I shall resist. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a MacBook. I don't need anything else. Yeah. Okay. Well. So, Tectasm. I mean, do you think Android apps? No, on no, the no. This is, this is not a Tectasm at all. It's no? it's okay. definitely a real. Um, I just may not never never use it myself. Um. Okay, well, if we can move on, uh, this this actually this episode for our listener is a triple BBC episode. So this is BBC article number two, and again, we've got a name, Rhiannon Williams. Brilliant. Is well done, Rhiannon. You've how... obviously been listening to our banter on the show. Absolutely, and uh, you've decided to name yourself. So, um, Windows 10 has been condemned by which, which of course is the, you know, the consumer advocate group, which recommends um, uh, products for people to get, but based usually on easiness to use and so forth. Um, and uh, supposedly they're saying that they've received hundreds of complaints about, uh, from people who have upgraded from Windows 8 to Windows 10, um, and all to do with things like various um, peripherals not working, Wi-Fi printers, speakers. Um, of course, there was a bit of an issue Microsoft had a few weeks ago where they broke loads of webcams for people with a certain update. So, um, yeah, it's actually um, it's uh, it's not been a good good few months really for for Microsoft, according to which anyway from Windows Ten. I mean, my experience of Windows Ten has actually been pretty positive. What about you? Yeah, it's been very good. I mean, of course, I mean, I, working in the tech industry, I, I understand the challenges that they have, the number, the v gigantic variety of equipment that they have to support in terms of drivers. And of course, I think a lot of these updates were doing things like replacing the Microsoft approved driver with perhaps the vendor supplied driver for certain things like, like graphics cards that have always been a challenge. Uh, and of course, mm. Apple and Google get round this by having, you know, essentially reference platforms or knowing their hardware or controlling which hardware their operating system goes onto, and therefore avoid this problem. Microsoft have always had this challenge, a unique challenge, I suppose, in the market. Um, so I'm not surprised there were some problems. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I, I'm not either. But as you say, you know, we're a lot more understanding about these kind of issues. Um, what thing is, every time there's a version of Windows out, there's this kind of story. People hated Windows XP when it first came out because it was incompatible with Windows 98. Well, yeah, which of course was the darling at the time. And then, of course, when Windows 7 came out, people were moaning about how they loved XP so much and why did they have to change? People don't like change, do they? Exactly. So I think the title of this article should be People Don't Like Change. <laughs> well, so, I think that's probably um, what it is. They just don't like change. 
Yeah, exactly. And yeah, think things don't work. But what, from what I found with my experience at Microsoft is if you write your drivers and software according to the standards, things generally work quite well. If you break the standards, things go wrong. I will. I used the story before. I'll use it again. Um, Ten years ago or so, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets for Windows 98 required administrator privileges. Why? Because they decided to put their save data in program files, a protected portion of the hard drive. Magic. So, you know, the way of getting around well, they that needed was, magic access. was require elevated privilege. You know, so the yes. software developers are lazy and they just do what works, not necessarily what's best. And um, and then when Microsoft updates things, hey, you know, things go wrong. So, well, uh, that's part of their problem, though, isn't it? That, uh, of course, they have got, you know, any manufacturer can make a Windows PC, any peripheral manufacturer can make a peripheral. You know, it's all open. The openness of their system paradoxically it's a proprietary closed system but the openness of it in that it's available to everybody is an achilles heel the issue i've got is where do they go if you know if if people aren't going to use windows 10 what options and alternatives do they have well um um they definitely don't well they don't don't have linux because that's even less compatible than uh than windows according to this current story and you can't have mac or chrome os unless you get the right hardware so you kind of a bit stuck, but the the thing is, Microsoft's openness is also, as you say, it's problem because um, most driver vendors can put their drivers through Windows Update, but you, and therefore you have to pass a load of tests. Um, you don't have to do that, you know, because you could always ship your driver on a USB key or download it from your website, and therefore you can bypass those tests. So um, it's very hard for Microsoft to uh, con- to control this. There's no tectasm here. There's no conspiracy. Windows has always had this problem. It's uh, really, I suppose, a tax on doing business. This is inevitably going to be a problem. So not a problem. It's going to be a byproduct of the way that Windows is designed and its acceptance. And clearly the market loves it. It's got massive market penetration. So no story here. Jog on. Okay, let's move on. Well, The Independent reported this week from Andrew Griffin that Google Allo, Edward Snowden has said that the new Google Allo should be deleted and never used. Now, James, have you been using Google Allo since it came out a few um, days ago? I have been invited to it, and I um, I think um, by you, um, 20 minutes ago, and it's now been downloaded onto my phone. I'm now opening it for the first time. The answer is no, okay? <laughs> uh, okay. Well, look, Google released its new chat app, Allo after showing it off during the summer. Now, what's unique about Allo, I mean, Allo is just a messaging app, but what's unique about it is it comes with a built-in robot that watches everything you say, stores it for later analysis, and uses that data to improve the app itself. So if you and I, James, are having a conversation and I say pizza, question mark, the Allo droid, which is called the Google Assistant, will pop up a list of pizza restaurants near us near you or near me but you see the problem is and this is perhaps why edward snowden has got a problem with it is that your chat or our chat will be stored on google's servers indefinitely uh, with them being able to read it and process it and do whatever they want with it now the company initially ind- indicated when it launched this product that the messages would only be stored temporarily 
this, of course, would limit the potential impact on a data breach at Google, however unlikely that is, um, and it would retain some level of pri uh, privacy uh, for, for you and me. But the fact they've now recanted on this and said we're going to keep it forever is a bit of a concern. Um, yeah, it is. And that's and look, data is Google's business. So nobody can be surprised that Google's holding on to data. Um, but um, yeah, look, Allo, I don't know. Isn't it just another Me Too, though? I mean, I appreciate it's got this assistant, which is very nice, but... Well, I suppose the two features which stand out for me is one, the ability to scale the text and emoticons up and down. So you can make tiny, tiny little emoticons or big fat ones. And the same with text. So you can emphasize and accentuate. So it gives you a little bit more, I suppose, in your expression palette uh, to do things. Um, uh, but it's a Me Too on WhatsApp, pretty much. The only differentiator is the inclusion of this Google Assistant AI. But in, in order for us, for example, to have a private encrypted conversation, which we could, we would have to go incognito. And if we go incognito, okay. then we don't get any of the Google Assistant features. We just get a Me Too IM app with the ability to scale the emoticon and words up and down. So you may as well just have WhatsApp and stick with it. I mean, is this is so... But what, what I'm surprised at is, of course, we spoke about Google Duo a couple of weeks ago. Um, why, haven't they, why haven't they just made a messaging and video app? Why two different apps? Well, they used to have one. Well, they do have one called Hangouts, which is a combination of videoing, video, audio, and and messaging. But the reason they've released two apps, I suppose, to supersede it is because Duo just does point-to-point -point video, and it does it very competently, James. That one is excellent. I've been using that myself, and that is good. That one's going to stick, I think. Whereas, And, and they've taken the chat bit out uh, and me-tooed it on, on WhatsApp. I suppose without the voice, there's no... I don't think there's the ability to do a voice call. You can do that thing where you record a little voice clip which you can, the other person can then play, a bit like sort of, you know, delayed push to talk, that sort of thing. Um, so they've obviously decided those are the crucial features which are important going forward. And that com single combined monolithic app is obviously too confusing. Uh, well, you but, say too confusing, but people are used to WhatsApp, Viber, I, dare I say it, iMessage, Skype. Um, I mean, I don't think they're giving users enough credit if they're saying they're not used to those apps when clearly they've existed for well since the dawn of time yeah and you know the question is really for google allo for me is whether it's going to stick or not um what do you think um no it's not at all it's another me too it's a tectasm yeah it's definitely tectasm google need to be in this game because facebook and microsoft with skype are clearly ahead of it they need to do something but maybe they should, they should just buy viber You've heard it first here on TechDesk. Okay, well, just a bit of a cheeky end story, if I can humour you for a little bit. And um, our final BBC one, three out of three, with, in fact, the first author, Dave Lee. Um, it came out in the news that Apple are considering buying McLaren. McLaren being the um, sports car manufacturer. Um, of course, Apple and McLaren have both come out saying um, this isn't happening. But um, I think it's really interesting because what it does is it revives the rumors about Apple who are building a self-drive, the self, well, maybe not self-driving, but Apple are building their own car, supposedly. So, what do you think? 
I think it's a rumour. And, uh, you know, I can understand why people latched onto it. I'm a bit dis- disappointed by Dave Lee in the BBC that he's just basically written an article about a rumour. Well, crikey, anyone can make a rumour up. The fact that this sounds plausible is irrelevant. It's still a bloody rumour and there's no facts behind it. And in fact, didn't McLaren come out literally the day after and say, we have never spoken to Apple, we're not selling to Apple, this is all untrue? Um, yeah, that's ba- that's basically it. I mean... Um, I think it's one of those things where maybe people are just trying to keep the Apple car story alive because Apple are famously very good at keeping secrets. And although the car is a bit of an open secret, no one's actually said anything. So maybe this is just a way for people to just... well, well, I think there were there was certainly was some movement at Apple in terms of their employees that had been brought in with knowledge of cars. Uh, and there'd been some... Some no, I don't know whether there were firings or whether they just naturally moved on. People left. There, there had been a few resignations and a few people moved on. There was there'd been some personnel changes at Apple, and obviously the world's conspiracy theorists looked at this fact, conflated it with perhaps another car that has the same design zeitgeist as Apple, which is McLaren. You know, it's it's an engineering firm with uh, white ceramic tiled floors that yeah. are kept spot, spotlessly clean, which yes. is very very much how you imagine. Apple do their business. Um, and therefore, you know, somebody in a pub said, what about Apple and McLaren? And somebody else said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And then somebody overheard it. And before you know it, reputable news outlets across the world are reporting it as, well, they might be denying it, but wouldn't it be a great idea? Ridiculous. Well, there's, there's quite a few times this has happened. I mean, do you remember when Kim Jong-un's uncle was executed and all of a sudden it came out that he was killed by dogs and it turned out that was just what somebody posted on uh, on Weibo, so yeah, you can you can believe that for North Korean yes. news, but you cannot believe it from companies, especially. I mean, and the story kept going even after everyone had denied it. Apple didn't deny, it, but they don't deny or confirm anything. But after McLaren had said no, and then and then people go, mm, well, they've said no really quickly, didn't they? Maybe maybe they're just being secretive about it. And you think, stop it! It's clearly a slow news week. <laughs> it is total tectasm, everybody. Okay, okay. Well, it was nice to have three BBC articles with three, well, two named journalists. So, well done, BBC. Even though one of those stories was ridiculous. That's all we got time for, James. Now, you, dear listener, can find us at facebook.com slash tectasm. Subscribe on the usual podcasting sites, iTunes, Stitcher, Feedburn, or whatever. And contact us at feedback at tectasm.com. Now, we record every Tuesday at 2100 BST GMT, which is why we're recording on Saturday. So watch out for next week and pick a day and guess when you're going to get a wonderful show. This is me, Sir Robin Yellow. And me, Mr. James Woodall. Asking the question on your behalf. Is it real or is it just a tech tasm?